0: Jude chapter one, what, sure, go ahead, Jude chapter one, if I have to blow my nose, please just excuse me, mercy, I would never expect that from pastor, and I'm going to tell you right now why he's so happy and has such a sweet attitude at church, because he lives with that gem and he works with me all week, we deal with the grumpiness all week long, No, um, you know, if you get to know Pastor, he actually is kind of a softy. He wouldn't be doing this if he wasn't. I mean, working with people, I mean, if he didn't actually care, he wouldn't be here anymore. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, that's just the way it is. But anyway, Jude chapter one, Uh, I thought about reading the whole chapter again, just to kind of refresh our brains, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk that long. So Jude, in Jude uh, verse 4, tells, tells these saints that they needed to earnestly contend for the faith. Why? Because there were men who had crept in unawares in verse 4, and he goes on then for the, uh, through verse 16 to describe these men, to let them know how fleshly and how sensual and how wicked and self-serving they were, And that was the reason that they did what they did. And so he describes these men, and we've looked at these men, but now we come to verse 17. And in verse 17, he switches gears. Now he talks to us. He's not necessarily talking about these these wicked men anymore. And honestly, it's kind of it if if I was gonna talk to you about some shyster or how to deal with with a guy who knocks on your door and is trying to sell you oceanfront property in Arizona, I would probably tell you how to deal with them, right? I would probably say, hey, you need to kick them off your porch. You need, to, you, know, you need to think about this fact and that fact. But what's interesting is Jude doesn't really do that. He gives us the answer in the rest of the chapter. He gives us the answer for these false prophets. But the truth is, is we really don't deal with the false prophets, He talks about dealing with ourselves, and that's what's interesting to me. Um, When I worked at a bank, um, when I was going through training to be a teller when I first started at the bank, they showed us some counterfeit money. But we didn't spend a lot of time working with counterfeit money. We spent a ton of time counting real money. And what's interesting is when you work at a bank, they teach you to count from hand to table. You don't count like this and keep it in your hands. You count and you set each bill on the, on the counter and you count hand to counter. And um, as you count enough money, and I'm gonna tell you this right now, money is disgusting. Um, it is amazing how dirty it is. But when you count enough money, you, when you feel something that's off, you feel it. And when I worked at the bank, we had a situation where people were taking, I think $5 bills and somehow they were making $100 bills out of them. And uh, you would be counting, and you'd just be flying through whatever they were, you know, and, and you'd feel it. You'd be like, wait a minute. And when you held it up to the light, you could start getting the outline of what was underneath that $100 bill. But you would feel it. And when it comes to false teachers, it's the same way. You have to spend your time learning this book, knowing truth, knowing what is right, knowing what God says. And listen, when something is off, it'll sound off. And when you hear it, you're going to go, something doesn't feel right or sound right or something's just not right about that. And God, the Holy Spirit, is going to bring that to your attention so that you pick up on it. And so that's exactly what Jude gives us for a solution to these false teachers in verses 17 through 25. We're not going to have time to look at all that tonight, but um, three things, three answers That he gives us for dealing with these false teachers. The first one is the fortification of ourselves. And that's verses 17 through verse 21. The fortification of ourselves. The second answer he gives is the rescuing of others. And that's in verses 22 and 23, when he talks about having compassion, making a difference and some, you know, pulling them out of the fire and and save the saving of others. And then the last one is the glorifying of God in verses 24 and 25. Tonight, I would like to look at the building up or the fortification of ourselves, the fortifying of yourself. How do you fortify yourself against lies, against deception, against these false teachers how do you fortify yourself against them in verse 17 notice what he says he says but beloved so here you have a term of endearment this is this is a family term this is a relationship term this is hey i love you i care about you you're special to me let me help you but he switches gears by saying but i've been talking about these guys but now let's talk about you and what's the first thing he tells us to do when it comes to fortifying our lives? Remember. Notice what he says. He says, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These, these be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. The first thing he says is remember. Is it not easy for us to forget We forget stuff all the time. We have smartphones and they have to-do lists and calendars and all the different things so that we can remember. Um, We make to-do lists or we write stuff on paper so that we'll remember. But do you ever like make a list and then lose your list? Isn't that a bummer? (laughs) But we do. We 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 forget. We're human. We're people. I get that. But we forget. And here he gives a command. It is a command to remember. And listen, remembering takes work. It takes effort. We don't usually remember because we just remember. We usually remember the things we try or that we strive to remember. The truth is, is that we remember usually the things that actually matter to us. We usually remember the things that matter to us. We remember the things we want to remember. We, th- we remember the things that we like. We remember the things that are important to us. We remember. We remember. My wife will tell you. I am a very, um, <clears throat> when it comes to people, I am a very, like, my people person. Um, people on Facebook really mean nothing to me. Except for those of you who are on Facebook. But for the most part, most of the people on Facebook, I just don't care. He was right this morning. I don't know you put something on there until six months later or until my wife says, hey, did you read this? Because I don't check it. And my phone doesn't notify me because I turned that off. And I just don't. And except for the people right in my vicinity, you know, the people at Platte Valley Baptist Church. I think about you guys. It matters to me. But I've lived several other places and in all honesty. Most of the time, I'm not thinking about those people. You know why? Because they're not really in my daily life. They're not in that, so I don't really remember. What's really bad is I'm kinda like this even with family. One reason I married my wife is my wife's job is to remember birthdays and anniversaries. Because I forget. I do, I forget. And you can ask my wife, she will tell you, she comes to me someday. she's like, do you know what today is? And I'm like, oh great, what don't I remember? And she'll tell me, today's so-and-so's birthday. Oh, okay. Oh, today is so-and-so's anniversary, or whatever it is. And I don't, I forget. And you know what? We remember the things we want to remember. We really do. And here, Judas spent several verses talking about these false teachers, but then he says, remember that you were told by the apostles about these false teachers. And you can go to Acts chapter 20 verses 29 through 31. Paul talking to the people at Ephesus. He says, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, uh, Paul said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, but there were false prophets also among the people. Second John 1, verse 7, for many deceivers are entered into the world. Listen, there are false teachers, false prophets everywhere. They're everywhere. They're even in the Christian bookstore. You better be careful what you pick up in a Christian bookstore. Because the truth is, they're about the dollar. They're not worried about truth. They carry all kinds of lies in those stores. That's one reason why I don't go there because you can ask my wife, I get very irritated. I, I, I get so aggravated. Some of the stuff I see on the shelf at Christian bookstores. But here's the, here's the reality. We have to remember that there are false teachers we have to remember that there are liars, there are deceivers. These people exist. And here's, one of the, here's the main thing here. This remembering is kind of the crux for the, the next four things he gives us to do to fortify our lives. You see, here's the reality. If we don't remember, we probably won't do the next four things. If we don't remember, if we forget... We won't do the next four things. Um, I had looked up, and I, I don't—I don't know if I actually wrote this down or not. But um, uh, George—I it, think it's George. I don't remember his last name now. George Santayana, Santayana. George Santayana. Do you guys? Does anybody know what George Santayana say, said? You'll know when I tell you. Does anybody know what George Santayana said? He was a philosopher. He said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Or you've probably heard those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. But he's the one who originally said those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And the truth is, is if we don't remember, if we don't choose to remember that there are false teachers, that we do need to be on guard, then we won't. Then we won't. So the first thing we have to do is we have to remember. But notice now in verse number 17. Uh, yeah, verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there w- should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be the, they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Verse 20. But ye, beloved, I love that. In verse 17, he already said, but beloved he already changed gears but he's switching gears again in other words you are not these false teachers you are not without the spirit you are not sensual you are not those who separate yourselves you are the complete opposite of these false teachers but ye beloved but ye now he's going to give four things that you need to do on top of this remembering the first one is in verse 20 he says but ye beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith. The first thing we need to do after we remember, after we keep in the front of our mind that there are these, these people out there that we do need to fortify our lives, the first thing we need to do is be building, to be building up yourselves on your most holy faith. What's interesting is this word building is the word edify. And when you find the word build or edification or edify throughout the new testament it means to build each other up but here's the interesting thing about this word this word has a preposition on it that literally means to build upon it means to build a, upon a foundation that is already existent you know if you're going to build a house or any kind of building you would build some form of a foundation and that's where you would start and then you would build your structure on top of it well here he's saying. You need to build up yourselves, but you already have a foundation. You need to build up yourselves on your most holy faith. What is your foundation? Your foundation is Jesus Christ. That's your foundation. I want you to take your Bibles. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. And notice what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verse number 10. Paul said in verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other, other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. But notice what he goes on to say. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, uh, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Listen, you are building on your foundation, your life, the choices you make. You are building on that foundation. And one day as a Christian, you'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ And your works, your life, what you built will be tried by fire. It will be tried by fire. Go over to 2 Peter chapter number one. Let me show you another uh, verse where it has this same idea of building in your life. 2 Peter chapter one. And look at verse three. The Bible says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Add to your faith. He says, add to your faith virtue and a virtue knowledge and a knowledge temperance and a temperance patience and a patience godliness and a godliness brotherly kindness and a brotherly kindness charity. Do you realize in your Christian life, there are things you're supposed to do. There are things God expects. There are things we're not supposed to do. There are certain things we're supposed to be putting into our lives and things we're supposed to be taking out of our lives and and we are to be building ourselves up on our most holy faith. That's the foundation, that faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that foundation. But now we are building up our lives and we have to realize that we need every day, like pastor said this morning, do you read your Bible? Do you have devotions? I cannot believe a guy would leave a church because his pastor asked him that. I just can't can't imagine that. But you know what? Reading the Bible is the way you build up your life on your most holy faith. I would say there's three things that you can do. Number one, you need scripture. To build up your life, you need scripture. But not only do you need scripture, but you need to be submissive to scripture. And thirdly, you need service. Those are three very basic things. But through scripture, submission to scripture and service, you begin to build up your life, that faith grows, and you're building on that foundation, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, how is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. He's talking about those spiritual gifts that they had. But then it says, he says, let all things be done unto edifying. Same word, edifying. He says, you all have all these spiritual gifts, but you know what's really important? Or you know what those spiritual gifts are really for? For the building up of each other. To helping each other grow. That's why he gave us spiritual gifts, to help each other grow. In Ephesians 4.12, he said, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building of the body of Christ, talking about pastors and teachers and those different people that God has put in the church for the building of people. Here's an interesting verse. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying or building that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Our speech is supposed to build people up. It's supposed to help and encourage people. Colossians 2, 7 says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We are to be building up our lives. We are to be building up our faith, our Christian life, on our most holy faith. Go back to Jude, Jude verse 20. But but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. And it is your responsibility. It is a command. This is literally an imperative word. It is a command. You need to be building up yourselves on your most holy faith. We have a responsibility to be doing that. So we we need to remember, we need to be building, but not only do that we need to be building, but we need to be praying. Notice the end of the verse, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost. You realize prayer is a weapon, is a weapon. I would call it a weapon in the armor of God. It is listed at the end of Ephesians 6 with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Prayer is a weapon Prayer is a tool that we have that unfortunately all too often we do neglect. We do neglect. Um, Prayer is work. Prayer is hard. Prayer is not easy. But notice as he says, praying in the Holy Ghost. What's interesting to me is Paul said the same thing. In Ephesians 6, 18, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, in the spirit. Paul went on again in Philippians chapter four, verse six, be careful for nothing, literally worry about nothing, but instead in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In Colossians four, verses two through three, he says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. But he says, in the Holy Ghost. And I thought of Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. I would encourage you, take your Bibles and turn over there. Romans 8, 26 and 27. If you don't have these highlighted or underlined, I would encourage you to do so. Um, Romans 8, 26 and 27. The Bible says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Have you ever known or have you ever needed to pray, but you didn't know what to pray? Have you ever, did you ever know you needed God to do something, but you didn't know what you needed God to do? you know what? Just pray. Just start praying. Because the Holy Spirit knows. He knows. The Holy Spirit knows. And he helps our infirmities. And he makes intercession for you and for me with groanings which cannot be uttered. But here's something interesting. Look at verse 27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, here's the thing. The Spirit will never make intercession for you and for me for anything outside of the will of God. He only makes intercession for those things that are the will of God. But he helps our infirmities. I've had people ask me before, man, what do I pray? I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. You know what I tell them? Just pray. Just talk to God. I have found in my own life it's amazing sometimes when I when I just start praying that God puts things in my heart and mind. That things come to me. And 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 I think the Lord puts those there. God allows you to realize things or to think things and he gives you it's almost like he gives you sometimes the thing to pray. So sometimes the best thing you can do, when even though you may not know what to say or what to pray to the Lord, is just get down on your knees and just start praying. Or if you're driving in the car, don't get down on your knees and don't close your eyes. Just start praying. Just pray. Just pray. Here's another command. Praying in the Holy Ghost. So we need to remember, we need to be building, we need to be praying. Notice verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now. I will say this, I think it's is it Romans chapter eight that tells us that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, and that is true. As a Christian, there isn't a thing that can separate you from the love of God. But ladies and gentlemen, practically, we should live there. We should live there practically. You say, what do you mean? <clears throat> do you guys tell your wives that you love them? Do you tell your wife that you love her? I mean, does she not have a ring on her finger to remind her of that? Do you really have to tell her? Do you ever do anything nice for her so that she knows that you love her? I mean, do you really have to tell her that? I mean, she has a ring on her finger, right? You have a marriage certificate somewhere. I mean, do you really have to tell her that you love her? Doesn't she already know that? She knows that, right? So why tell her? I mean, she should already know it. You see, in our relationships that matter to us, we try to invest in those relationships. We don't try to take them for granted because they matter to us. And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, we should be seeking to keep ourselves in the love of God. There should be a practical aspect to that relationship. What's interesting is that word keep literally means to tend to or to maintain See, like the idea of attending a garden if you have a garden you don't just walk by and go oh there's weeds in there no what do you do you go back and and you pull those weeds out and you take care of that garden don't you do that with your relationship don't you do that with your spouse you tell your spouse that you love them and and you try to do things for them and and you maintain that relationship why because it matters And ladies and gentlemen, we have a responsibility to keep ourselves daily in the love of God. We should be walking there, living there, in the love of God. There are Christians who live life as if they have never experienced the love of God. We shouldn't be that way. We should live in a way that people say there's something different about them. We should live in a way that we express the love of God and and people know there's something different about us and and, and it should be obvious that we have experienced the love of God. Keep yourselves. It's a maintenance thing. Attend it like you would a garden. I found found this thought interesting. Um, In Deuteronomy 6, 5, uh, God said, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Jesus repeated that in Matthew 22, verse 37. He said, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Now let me ask you a question. Has God changed his mind? No. If Jesus wouldn't have quoted that reference and used that in the New Testament, would Deuteronomy 6, 5 still matter for us today? I mean, just because we have salvation by faith through, by grace through faith and Jesus died on the cross and all of that and the law has been fulfilled, let me ask you a question. Does God feel any different about Deuteronomy 6, 5? No. We still have a responsibility to love the Lord with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our might. Jesus said this in John 14. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and he will manifest, my, and I will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, um, Actually, I don't know why I have that verse on there. Sorry. John fifteen verse nine: As the Father hath loved me, so I loved you. Continue ye in my love. We have a responsibility to maintain that relationship with our Lord and Savior, and to keep ourselves in. The love of God. This is not a keeping my salvation. This is not a oh I, I, I hope I don't lose myself. No, this has nothing to do with salvation. This has everything to do with the way we live each and every day of our lives. We are to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then the last one. So remember build, uh, pray, keep, and then the last one is looking. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This word looking is pretty neat. It literally means to accept or to expect. To accept it as if it has happened or to expect it like this is a guaranteed thing. And listen, Jesus is coming again. We are to be looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We are to be looking for that return, that appearing. Or we are to be looking or expecting that eternal life through death if necessary. If necessary. But we are to be looking for our salvation, our eternal life. We are to be expecting it. We are to be anticipating it. We should be excited about it. Let me give you a few verses. Take your Bibles, go over to Matthew fifteen or Mark 15. Mark 15. I want to show you a few places where this looking word is used. Mark chapter 15, look at verse 43. The Bible says, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. He waited for the kingdom of God. It's the same word. He was expecting it to come. He was looking for the Messiah. He was anticipating it. He knew God said he would come. He knew God had promised the Messiah and he was waiting for it. He was expecting the kingdom of God. Um, go over to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, verse 25. Verse 25. the Bible says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and about waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. He was waiting for the Messiah. He was not, well, I hope it happens, and well, maybe it'll happen. No, 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 no. Simeon lived his life every day expecting today the Messiah could come. Today might be the day because the Messiah is coming. It's going to happen. Nobody's stopping it. There's nothing in the way. The Messiah is coming and he lived with that expectation. Look at verse 38. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for the redemption of Israel. Same word. Expecting, looking, anticipating. Go over to chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 36. Luke 12, 36. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open up unto him immediately. Same word, same word, wait for their Lord. They know their Lord's coming back. They're waiting, they're looking, they're anticipating. We could go on and on and on through the New Testament. Ladies and gentlemen, we should be living each and every day as if our salvation could become a reality right now. We should be expecting and anticipating that. I don't always do that. I get too busy. I get too busy. I'm thinking about the house I got to remodel. I'm thinking about youth group on Wednesday night. I'm thinking about what i got to do tomorrow i'm thinking about thinking about songs for sunday morning um i'm thinking about who's going to sing the next special i think about what i got to get in mr d's i think about how much money we're spending here and how much money you're spending there and it's all these things that bog my brain and you know what i don't always live with this expectation you know why because like pastor said this morning the world's noise is just pounding in our ears and in our face, and it's and it's loud. And we get distracted. We get distracted from our God. We get distracted from our savior, from our Lord. We get distracted from his word and what he's promised and what he said. And we do, we get distracted. And that's why Jude here gave us five commands to remember, to build, to pray. To keep and to look. Because we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that we need to do these things. These things are important. I have thought, I have thought about setting up a reminder. You know, on your phone, you can set up reminders, right? I don't have my phone, but um, you can set up reminders like in your calendar. Right? And then you can set up repeats on that reminder, right? Or on your computer or wherever. And you can set up a reminder, and it'll, it'll give you an alert, it'll make a noise, it'll ding, a little message will pop up on your, uh, on your locked screen, and it will remind you of whatever you need to be reminded about. You know what I thought about doing? I thought about taking these five things and put, putting them on a date in my calendar, and then causing it to repeat for the rest of my life, and setting up a daily reminder for every morning because I forget, but I have. I've thought about doing that. Just these five things. Remember, build, pray, keep, and look. Be looking, be looking. Fortifying our lives against these false teachers. Remember, build, pray, keep, and look. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Jude. Thank you for the opportunity to study it. Lord, I pray it help us to remember. Help us to remember that there are false teachers, that there are dangers, that there are things out there that we need to protect ourselves from. And Lord, help us to build up our lives. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to keep ourselves in your love. And Lord, help us to be looking for that salvation in Jesus' name, amen.